You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. All right. Uh, interesting. So how many of you guys read the scripture? So two of you. Awesome. It's going to be fun. Yes. I will probably post them on Mondays. Typically. That's all right. I don't care. I really don't mind. Uh, the serm- the notes can't guarantee that I'll get them put out on Monday, but if I do remember, I will. Otherwise, they'll continue to be Tuesdays. But what'd you, what was your guys' guesses, those of you guys that read? All right, well, we'll go through. We'll go through the scripture. We'll allow all the rest of you guys a chance to guess. Since I anticipated that nobody was actually going to do it, we're going to read the scripture in here. It's like I know you guys too well. All right, first piece of scripture is the armor of God in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on your full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given uh, excuse me, words may be given to me so that I may, well, apparently I didn't write this right. Whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will be fearlessly, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So now does anybody have a guess? What's that? I still couldn't hear you. <laughs> I thought she was talking at first, and so her lips weren't moving. I was like, that's interesting. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll read that next. But I just wanted to see if there were any guesses before that. Iron Man? All right. Let's read the next piece of scripture because it is very important as she was just stating. So the next piece of scripture, which I posted later, I don't have a, oh yeah, yeah, I do. Sorry. I forgot to tell you. So go to the next one. There we go. First Samuel 16. Tell me if your guesses still stay the same. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about me, he will kill me. 
The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, word, and, <laughs> and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons you have? There is still one youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Any new guesses? Thor, what'd you say? Captain America? All right. Let's go ahead and play the video. All right. Uh, can I have you turn the lights back on? Nothing says uh, church service like some good old violence to get it started off, right? <laughs> but as you guys, some of you guys guessed, it was Captain America. Um, those of you guys that guessed uh, Iron Man, Iron Man doesn't have a belt or a shield. Like, come on, guys. Slackers. Captain America does. He has a breastplate. He has a helmet. He has a belt. He has shoes. And he has a shield. Name another piece of armor he doesn't have. That's what I'm talking about. Got to think critically here, guys. So this is the easiest one. They'll get more difficult from here on. But I wanted to give you guys an easy one, which this one was at least somewhat easy. Uh, at least it narrowed it down to a couple. But um, from here on out, they're going to get a lot more difficult. And so I encourage you guys to read them ahead of time. Uh, have a little bit of time to think critically about them. And then um, come here with your guesses. And this can be just kind of a fun way to go about uh, this Avenger sermon series. And uh, we'll be doing this throughout the whole rest of the semester, pretty much other than a couple of guest speakers. Um, so this is going to be, I think it's going to be fun. But I felt like the obvious choice to start out this sermon series was Captain America, um, because Captain's just kind of a good starting point. Um, he's the first Avenger. Uh, it's, it's kind of an obvious choice in my mind to start out the sermon series with him. And so I'm going to share with you guys some facts about Captain America. So Captain America's main weapons or main weapon is his shield. And scripture also talks about a shield as we just read 
It says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So Captain America was created in 1940 by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. He was Marvel Comics' very first superhero. Stan Lee calls Captain America the very definition of a superhero. And one of the reasons I feel like we love Captain America, those of you guys that have seen the movies from that one scene, a lot of us kind of latched onto it in which um, Black Widow's taking them in a plane. And uh, Black Widow says, I'd sit this one out, Cap. And he replies, um, I don't know how I can. And uh, she says, these guys come from legend. They're practically gods. And Captain America replies, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. I think that one quote, even from the commercials, a lot of people who aren't even familiar with comic books or comic book characters or superheroes kind of latched, at least Christians, kind of latched on to Captain America because it was just kind of that good old-fashioned, just down-home hero. But the story of Captain America is really ultimately the story of Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers is a skinny kid from Brooklyn, and despite his sickly, skinny uh, physique, Steve volunteered for a top-secret military experiment called Operation Rebirth. And Steve was actually chosen um, because of his patriotic and sacrificial heart, not because of his physical accolades. And so Steve was then ejected with a special serum and then bombarded with Vita rays, which transformed him from the frail young man that he was to the peak of human perfection, basically better than human. And so... Now, with enhanced strength, speed, and agility, on top of a good personality and sacrificial heart, um, Captain America became the symbol of liberty during World War One or World War Two, as uh, as he defended. Um, America against Nazis within the comic book world. And even in the real world, um, he became a, a symbol of hope for even Americans as um, the war went on. And so Captain America's only weapon, as I said before, is a shield made of an indestructible alloy capable of absorbing kinetic energy. And just as Captain America's shield can't be destroyed, the shield of faith also can be destroyed. And as you can tell, we're focusing primarily on the shield specifically. And so um, the shield of faith for us and what scripture is talking about helps us to be impervious to spiritual attacks. And however, uh, in the real world and in the comic book world, not all shields are made, made the same. And so what composed Captain America's shield? I think it's extremely important because I want to draw parallels to what compose Captain America's shield as to what is supposed to compose our shield of faith. How do you build a shield of faith? And so as we break down Captain America's shield, I want to break down what the shield of faith is as well. And so the Bible says you can never please God without faith, without depending on him. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely look for him. And in the comics... Captain America's shield is made of an alloy composed of three different metals. The first is vibranium. Vibranium is a rare vibration-absorbing metal found only in the jungles of Wakanda. The second ingredient is adamantium. Adamantium is the same indestructible metal that wolverine's claws and bones are coated in. And finally, um, 
the last element of Captain America's shield, as, as far as the comic books are concerned, is the um, Asgardian blacksmiths added some of the mystical metal called Uru to the shield, which is the exact same material that Thor's hammer was forged from. And so it's composed of three different components, um, the same thing that Thor's hammer is made out of, the same thing that you find in Wakanda, and that the Black Panther's suit's made out of, and then also... Um, the same thing that Wolverine's claws and uh, skeleton are made out of. Those three metals combine to make Captain America's shield practically indestructible within the comic book world. And so similarly, similarly, I say similarly, and it's not correct. I apologize. Similarly, um, the shield of faith can also not be destructive or is also indestructible. And so, um, the above passage that I just talked about and how we build the shield of faith and in talking about the shield of faith, I want to break down how we build faith. What is faith composed of? And we can begin to look at the practical aspects of faith and we can start to take away the component of the shield from it and look at what faith is composed of. What makes faith? What really is at the heart of our faith as Christians in God. The first component is simple. Uh, the first element of faith is simply believing that God is real. If we miss this first step, obviously we're missing the whole picture. So becoming as humans um, absolutely convinced that God is actually real, that he actually exists, that he actually um, is out there, is the very first element of our shield. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, anyone who wants to come to him must first believe that God exists. And so how do we come about of that decision? How do we come to that decision? I think when we look at the natural world as human beings, we can take a step back and we can remove the Christian aspect. Or we can remove the, the religious veil off of why we believe God is real. Be, remove the, our parents told us so. And we start to make our faith our own. We start to look at the world and try to look into the world to figure out that belief. Figure out why we believe God is real. What exists in the natural world? What exists that we can see with our eyes that can, com- that can convince us that God is actually real? And for me, one of the things in this natural world that I can look at that I can say, hey, this is definitive proof. This, this is, you know, the very first step of believing that God is real or a God is real is, is looking at the fine tuning of the universe. I absolutely love how finely tuned the universe is, not only the universe, just our, within our own solar system. It's so finely tuned that scientists almost, uh, have to refer to it as a miracle because it is, absolutely perfect. Just a difference of a few degrees or a few miles per hour can throw everything within our solar system off um, to even the smallest details. The second thing is the applicability of mathematics. The concept of mathematics in and of itself is kind of astounding and how we can use mathematics to create and build so many things that we do. The computer system, which is built on the basis of mathematics is simply astounding that it even exists. And yet I can show you a video of actors in high definition. I can show you pictures like this because of mathematics and because of technology. 
And the fact that mathematics is at the base of everything is simply astounding. And then we can also look at the reality of good and evil. There's clearly good and there's clearly evil. We learn this from an early age. Sometimes what is good and what is not can be a dark line, can be a gray area, but nobody really denies that there's good and that there's evil, that there's two totally different aspects to our world. That tells me there has to be a God. And then when I also look at the historical proof of Jesus Christ's life, and I look at um, even secular teachings from that time period, it's clear that Jesus did live and Jesus did did die. And so that, to me, proves that he existed. And then you add in your own personal experiences, your own circumstances. And the author of Hebrews touches on one particular good reason to believe in God. And he says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It's in Hebrews 11. For centuries, the atheists on earth were convinced that the universe was eternal, which basically meant was that there was no beginning, no end, no middle, that it just was. And now science has essentially disproved that. Science has proven atheists wrong and that there is a definitive beginning. There was an initial existence. That at some point in time in history, and science and faith can differ and disagree on this or agree on it or you know find different ways to to look at it but no matter what we all agree that matter energy and space and even the concept of time all came into existence at one particular point science has gone back and proved it they've proved that energy and everything is dissipating and so there had to have been a start because if there was no start it would have gone out uh, would have ceased to exist a long time ago. And science refers to it as a big bang or something to that level. And since the universe had a beginning, we have to come to the obvious question. The obvious question is what created the universe? Because early in science, you were also taught that you can't get something out of nothing. That's a basic, uh, Eighth grade education in science tells us you can't get something out of nothing. You can't get life from no life. There has to have been a start. And so we know that there had to have been something. Something had to have created what we now see as the universe. And so um, because nothing comes or because something has to come from nothing, Nothing can come from free, come for free, basically. And so there has to be a cost somewhere. Where was the cost? How did it come about? These are questions that, whether you believe in God or not, are questions that are out there. And so uh, it becomes clear to me and becomes clear to a lot of other Christians that God is real because these questions even exist. How can we ask these questions? You know, how, how can we confirm these questions without having something to create everything that we see? And in the first chapter of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So scriptures had the story right all along. In the beginning, 
It was created. It came from nothing. And so the first step in creating your shield is belief in God. The second ingredient is that God is reliable. So I'm going to tell you a story. This is a made-up story, but it's a story nonetheless. So one day there was a man out disc golfing. If you guys know me, I like to disc golf. Um, you can use the word golf if you really want to. So let's just say there was a man out golfing, and this guy's golf uh, disc or ball came precariously close to a cliff. He was out playing, and he threw it, and he shanked his shot, and it landed right next to the cliff. Rather than taking it and moving it in, he goes ahead and he takes his next shot from that spot. And as he's taking his shot, he falls off balance and he falls off the cliff. And about 15 feet down, he manages to grab a hold of a branch that's sticking out. He's hanging onto this branch for dear life. And like I said, it's about 15, 20 feet up and over 200 feet down. And he looks down and he starts screaming, help, help, is anybody there to help me? Please, somebody, somebody help me, thinking that there has to be other people on this course, other people wanting to play. And so he's screaming, screaming over and over, is there anybody there to help me? And then finally, as he's beginning to get weak from hanging on to this branch, a booming voice comes out and shakes the entire golf course, and it's God, and he's saying, I'm here, and I will save you if you believe in me. And so obviously, this man screaming out, I believe, I believe, I believe in you, God. And so God says, if you believe in me, let go of the branch and I will save you. So this young man is considering what God says. He looks up, sees that he's about 15 feet from the top, looks down, sees that he's over 200 feet down to the bottom. He's sitting there gazing at the valley below. And after a long pause, he shrieks out, is there anybody else up there that can save me? So clearly belief and trust are two totally different things. It's one thing to believe that God is real. It's another thing to believe that God is reliable, that he is trustworthy, that he is trustful. So in order to have a shield of faith, in order to build on our faith, we have to believe that God is reliable. Because without reliability, basically this disc golfer didn't change his circumstances. This golfer uh, didn't change his circumstances. And it's a fun story, but it applies to our life so often. When I was little, I was in the second grade, and uh, I remember one day I was eating an apple, and my brother, he's, uh, any of you guys from Alliance? Nope, that's rare. Usually we have a ton of people from Alliance in here. My brother is the middle school counselor in Alliance. That's the only reason I ask. But, um, He's about 10 years older than me, about 10 to 11 years older than me. And so I was eating an apple, and uh, my brother stops me, and he says, hey, make sure you don't eat any of the seeds. I was like, why? I was like, second grader, why? He said, because if you swallow the seeds, the seeds will begin to grow faster than your stomach can digest them. And eventually what will happen is you'll have a tree growing out of your stomach and it will eventually come out of your throat. It will eventually kill you and you will die. So at the time, I trusted my brother. I felt like my brother was a reliable source. I felt like he was so reliable that I went and I decided to warn my second grade class of the same thing that he had warned me. Like, we eat apples every day. Like, this is life-changing information, right? 
So I began telling all of my friends and I go up to my second grade teacher and I'm telling her this story because this is like, I can't believe this isn't something that you guys taught us in school when we first came in here. And my teacher just laughed at me and was like, yeah, that's crazy. That's a funny story. And I got mad at her because my brother was reliable. He wouldn't lie to me about something like this. And so uh, I eventually, or I, I continued to argue with my teacher and it got heated. It got very heated. And eventually it grew into a hatred for this teacher. Like I graduated the second grade despising the second grade teacher because of an argument I had with her about the factual reality that existed that if we eat seeds, they will grow out of our stomach. And I mean, I believed this for a couple years. Now that I'm older, I realize that uh, through life experiences that my brother uh, isn't exactly as reliable as the second grade version of me thought. And so now I wish I could go back into that second grade teacher and be like, forgive me because I was an idiot. I trusted my brother and I should have trusted you. But reliability is important. The fact that my brother had established himself as reliable caused me to argue with a teacher, caused me to change even my life's path at that point. I know it's a simple story, but for a second grader, that was a big deal. It's because I felt like my brother was reliable. We too have to guard God. We have to see God with that same kind of reliability, the same way a second grader looks at their older brother, that when God says something, that we recognize it as a reliable truth and we then change our path. We then change our decisions. We then base our life off of that reliable truth. It's one thing to believe God is real. It's another thing to believe that he is reliable. In Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and is the conviction of things not seen. When we learn to fully rely on God, we trust that he is in control. We trust that he knows what is best for us, what is best for our situation, uh, even when we can't see it. Even when we can't see the end. Just think back to Courtney even being in the hospital recently. You know, this surgery that you guys, most of you guys know about, was a painful process. She was in the hospital for two weeks. It was a big deal. But now that she's out of the surgery and now that she's in recovery and she's not in that constant state of pain that she had been in for years, you know, I can look and be like, yes, God got us through that. And I learned so much and we're through that period of time. And now seeing the outcome of it, I wish I could go back and convince myself two months ago to trust God in the process. Trust God through this situation. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we can't see the good that will eventually come out of our hardships or our pain or the sufferings that we're going through. But I bet you $100 that if you can stay faithful to God through your hardships, years down the road, you will wish the same thing, that you could go back and just convince your younger self that this is for good, that you will learn and you won't regret this situation. So the third ingredient is that God is reachable because ultimately what good is a God if he exists and is reliable, but is absolutely unreachable, that he is completely independent from us. What good is a God that doesn't, 
uh, that isn't close and isn't here and isn't working and isn't doing things. And so we have to believe that God is reachable because God, Scripture tells us, wants to be in a relationship with us, wants to closely interact with us. Um, in Acts, it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I'm going to read that again. God did this so that they would seek him. God did something specifically so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Because if you believe that God is just some distant deity that doesn't really interact with us, then what good is it to believe in him in the first place? Because my wife is sitting back there at the sound booth. There is absolutely nothing you could do or say to convince me that she doesn't exist. Part of the reason, and, and I'm, walk with me here, part of the reason I have an unshakable faith that my wife exists is because I interact with her daily. I have conversations with her. I see her. We interact constantly. Now, the only way that she could possibly not exist is perhaps if I was schizophrenic, but I wouldn't know that I was anyway. And so there's absolutely nothing you could do to convince me that she doesn't exist. A Christian who is built on the right foundation has the same kind of relationship with God. Because of the interaction, because of the conversation, because of the daily conversations that take place. And so the same way that you couldn't convince me that my wife exists, you couldn't convince me that God doesn't exist. Because I daily interact with him. I know his voice. I have conversations with him. I know what his presence feels like. I know what his voice sounds like. And so to somebody who is on less solid ground, it might not be as difficult to, to convince them that God doesn't exist. And so that goes to the next point that <clears throat> if we truly believe that God is reachable, then we need to be reaching out to him. We need to be having that conversation. We need to daily be in conversation with him. And so as I close up this sermon today, uh, I just have a couple more points that I want to talk about with our faith. Because as I was alluding to, that if we believe God is real, <clears throat> if we believe that he is reachable, and we believe that he is reliable, then do our daily decisions reflect that? If God of the universe wants to interact with us and we believe that, how much are we putting forward to interact with him? How much of our time, how much of our day, how much of our decisions are we making uh, based upon that? Because as Christians, as people who believe in God and people on a path to believing God, even if you don't believe in God today, you're still on a path. And no matter what, uh, it is my belief and it is Christian's belief that the enemy, Satan, will do anything in his power to undermine that belief in God. Daily, the enemy will try to undo your faith. And so daily, the enemy will send things into your life disguised as other things in order to derail your faith. 
Sometimes that uh, looks like a Patriots fan. Sometimes it looks like people who are devout to hating God. Sometimes it's just demons in general. But God will, or that the enemy will send things to try to derail your faith. So it is important for us to spend that time with God daily. Why'd you just roll your eyes at me? I saw it. Oh, my Patriots fan, nobody laughed. It wasn't that funny. It was rough. It was, it was a rough delivery. I admit it. Okay. Give me a break. This is like the first full sermon I've preached in like two months. Get off my back. <laughs> for real it's just it's too real it's too too real too soon man they're gonna be in another super bowl too it's so sad man the devil is a liar tell you what proof <laughs> patriots are in the super bowl <laughs> all right so <laughs> back to so I can close <laughs> it was such a like strong moment and gone but anyway so if your faith is as weak as this joke was <laughs> and it isn't comprised of those three elements then really what you're doing though to be honest is leaving yourself vulnerable and so we have to be careful to make sure that we don't leave ourselves vulnerable. We have to do the things to take care of our health. And I'm not just talking about our physical health. I'm talking about our emotional and our spiritual health. And so it is so important for us to spend time with God so that we can build in these three areas because our faith is built upon them. The closer we get to God, the more time we spend with God, the more the other stuff begins to fall into place. The more time I spend with God, the more I see how reliable he is. The more time I spend with God, the more, um, the more I see that he is even real. The more time I spend with God, the more I realize how reachable he is because he interacts with me. He has conversations. He shows me things that I wouldn't have otherwise seen if I didn't engage in that daily interaction. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we love you and we thank you. God, I pray that as we go about our days and our schedules, Lord, that you would help to grow our belief, grow our faith, God, that everyone in this room, that you would show us that you were real. God, that you would show us that you're reliable. And God, I, I pray you would show us that you're reachable. God, I pray that as this week goes on, that every single one of these guys in here would be reminded of this sermon. They would be reminded to... Take time to spend with you in their day. God, I pray that you would send them reminders. Send them people to remind them. Send them uh, something significant to them. 
Lord, help them to build their faith. God, we pray that um, this temperature sucks, it's cold, but I pray that that wouldn't keep these guys away from each other and they wouldn't, it wouldn't keep them away from you. Lord, I know that there's a lot of hurting and depressed and lonely people in this campus. And as it gets cold, we tend to isolate ourselves even more. And so I pray against that this week, that these students wouldn't be isolated, that they would be a light in the darkness on this campus this week. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.